All right, Romans 3. Uh, my expectation is to get through verses 21 through 26 this morning. Uh, if we get further, we get further, but I, I seriously doubt that we will. But um, surprisingly, if one was going to sit, uh, sit down and study Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, um, to really study the things that are in these verses are, um, would take, a, take some time. Like anything else, there's a difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. And uh, you know, the good thing about a verse-by-verse Bible study is that we can take a little bit of time and study these things because I'm telling you, there is so much stuff in these verses that if you don't take the time, you'll miss them. Some, some fantastic truths of God. And, and again, I tell you all the time how convinced I am that this is the Word of God and not the Word of man. And when it's when you study the Word of God that you will become more convinced of that. And so I, I hope that is the case in your life. I know it is, is in mine. And so, you know, Paul up to this point has um, already um, proven the point, and he's moving from the point that all are guilty to what his reason is for saying all of that. I mean, his reason for everything he said isn't the idea that, hey, everyone's guilty, so... Go live your life and enjoy it while you can, right? That's not his point. His point, he spent um, most of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and up to this point in chapter 3, proving that all of the world is guilty before God and that God is just to judge all of mankind. And again, I know that sometimes we have that difficulty and we go into that, what about? What about that person that didn't, didn't hear the gospel? What about this person? And we think of all these different scenarios. Well, Romans is, is set forth right from the beginning of, of, of Paul's writings, set forth that all are guilty. Nobody's ever been born, save Christ. Could go to the judge, and, and Christ is the judge, but nobody's ever been born who could go to the judge and say, it's not fair for you to judge me. It's not going to happen. All mouths have been stopped. And Paul's point in saying all that is because he's got a greater point in mind. And that point is, is that God wants man to be saved. Look at, uh, look at me in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And, and, and if you think about what I just said and then reflect on this verse, that in enough should be reason for us to give thanks to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, talking about God says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? It is our God's desire for man to be saved. And that is knowing that man has rebelled against him. I don't know about you, but I can tell you this. In my life in the flesh, when somebody wants to give me a hard time, the last thing I really want to do is do good things for them. My flesh tells me not to. My flesh tells me to tell them, you know, you should pay for what you've done. But God, knowing our sinfulness, still willed that we would be saved. God doesn't take any satisfaction in the death of people. He doesn't take any satisfaction in man's um, lost situation. Go back to Ezekiel. It's always been the case. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 here God says have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die saith the Lord God and not that he should return from his ways and live? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. God does not take any pleasure in this, this idea. He doesn't have any pleasure in the idea that the wicked should die because his desire is for man to be saved. Look down in verse 32. <coughs> he answers his question. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. And so... God has always desired that mankind would be saved. Um, 
and, and this is one of the things that I try to stress to us, is one of the things that as Christians, the challenge that we have into a world that denies God, a world that rejects God, is to try to relay to them the love of God. Sounds easy enough, but to a world that sees only bits and pieces of Scripture, the ones that, that um, um, is, is pointed out to them how God hates this and God hates this and, and God hates this and God judges this, to them, they, they don't see a God of love. And that's because their hearts are blinded by Satan. Our, our job is hopefully to reveal to them that God is actually love. His heart's desire is for man to be saved. And so Paul is, move, is moving here now from all of mankind is condemned, all of mankind is guilty before God to the reason why he's saying all this. And the reason why he's saying all this is because God wants us to be saved. And guess what? He has provided a way for that to happen. And so that's what these next few verses are going to talk about is how is it that salvation works? Because even though salvation was offered in the Old Testament, They didn't understand it. But you today have the full revelation of God. God gave uh, the Apostle Paul the final revelation, that that unfolded piece of information that was never revealed, that almost like a book that was closed up has now been opened, that we can see in Scripture how God viewed things in the past and how he's using um, or how he's doing things in the present. And so... Paul is going to be um, not only bringing to light what has taken place, but he's going to explain how salvation in times past is paid for. Let me say that again. Paul is going to explain how in times past salvation is paid for. Now, under the law, what they do? They took their their bulls and their goats and they took their sacrifices and, 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 and all of that to, to the temple or, or to the tabernacle. And, um, but yet to the wise, they understood that God didn't, God didn't have a love in the offering of bulls and goats, did he? Matter of fact, the blood of bulls and goats wasn't going to save anyone, was it? Unless what happened? Christ came. And so Paul is going to explain how it works. And so you can see why uh, Romans one or Romans three twenty one through twenty six is actually quite a bit of information. It's not just a, a quick a quick thing. And I want you to notice something else. We're going to read uh, twenty one through twenty six, um, and then we'll go back and break it down. But I want you to notice this is one sentence. Verses twenty one through twenty six is one sentence. Let's read. Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." One sentence. There's a lot of stuff in that one sentence, I'm telling you. And so we're going to break that down some. Um, but, but again, knowing this, that what Paul is going to talk about here is a, a couple of different things. Here he's introducing um, a dispensational aspect. He, here he's introducing this through those two words right there at the beginning, but now. Here you see us, there's, it signifies a change. You know, I remember years ago, I forgot, I think it was Valerie was the first one I ever heard say this, and I think she was saying this to one of the kids. I'm not sure, but but whenever you use the word but, it basically nullifies what was in front of it, right? So it signifies a change. 
And so you can even go back into 2 Samuel chapter 12, and, and, and in that situation, it's David, and, and he's being inquired by those around him because David had sinned with Bathsheba. God had pronounced a judgment upon their son, that that son was going to die, and David spent his time um, in prayer and fasting, and as soon as his son died, he gets up, and what happens? The people ask him, well, what are you doing? And he says, well, my son was alive, but now... He's dead. You see how simply but now just shows how this is how something was, but now it's different. So when you see the words but now in Scripture, it's telling you something. It's telling you something you need to pay, pay attention to. Uh, and so in here what we see is, is there's, a, there's a, um, a change, there's a dispensational aspect that Paul is going to now introduce. And we see him, this, this term that... Uh, you know, maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, maybe it's, maybe it's new to you. It's called progressive revelation. The idea that information from God has come progressively. God didn't give Adam everything. He gave Adam some things. He gave Noah some things. He gave Abraham some things. He gave Moses some things. He gave the prophets, so on. Even Jesus in his earthly life, he gave so much. But the revelation wasn't finished. It progressed over time. And we've talked about that, how that works. We do that with our own children. It's not odd. It's not abnormal. You don't tell your kids whenever. I mean, we look at the videos. Our, our daughter, you've met Katie. She posts these videos of our granddaughter, Emmy. She's not, she's not expecting Emmy to, to walk when she's six weeks old. She teaches her a little bit as she goes. God did the same thing with us. And so here with this but now, Paul has, has explained the guiltiness of man. So at the end of 22, in the New King James, there's a period that's supposed to be a comma? Supposed to be a, a colon. Oh, a colon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, one, that's one sentence there uh, that we see, 21 through 26. Um, and so, again... Understanding this, but now how significant this is. Paul is 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 going to explain how a few things work. Um, remember, up to this point, Paul has not given anything regards to the mystery. Up to this point, Paul has not detailed uh, what he's going to spend thirteen, including the Book of Romans, thirteen epistles teaching. You know, but. You understand that this but now statement of his, this is the first of a number of times he's going to use this to describe this new thing that we have today. And so um, you can also know that, uh, that he's talking about this, um, this, this change of things by looking at verse 26. Notice what he say. it says there, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness. You see how Paul there is saying that, that at this time, God is declaring something. In other words, he didn't declare it back then. And that's what we're going to talk about is, is what is it that, that he declared. But, but first, um, look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's one of the things that are the but now. And we can see how this works. Ephesians 2, let's look at verse 12 and 13. It says that at that time you were without Christ, talking about Gentiles, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Well, that was then. Aren't you happy that you have but now? Yeah. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ blood of Christ. So you can see this but now, how this is used in Scripture. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Here we see the mystery, how it was hidden, but now it is manifested. Colossians 1, 26. He says, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and generations but now is made manifest to his saints. So that's telling you that at time, one time it wasn't, but now it is. So 
back here in Romans chapter 3, it's telling us, but now, but, but now what? But now the righteousness of God without the law is made manifest. It's not that the righteousness of God is made manifest. God's righteousness had, had been made manifest all through times past. But righteousness without the law wasn't made manifest. Um, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see over and over again that the God had made manifest his righteousness. But what's now new in this day of grace, in this dispensation, is God's righteousness made manifest apart from the law. And so that's what you need to understand. God's righteousness isn't new. You can see it. Turn back to Rome, I'm sorry, Psalms 98. Psalm 98, verse, uh, verses 2 and 3. Could I, could I just play with words a little bit? Certainly. What, what you said about God. God is the manifestation of righteousness. He is, which we're going to get to in just a minute. We are going to get to that in a minute. And if, if you didn't hear it, what he said was, is God is the manifestation of righteousness, which we will certainly be talking about in a minute. Psalm 98, look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness has he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Well, how did he make it known? His righteousness make it known. How did he make it known in the sight of the heathen? We just got done reading Ephesians chapter 2 that guess what? That that basically the Gentiles were in a place where you had no hope, you had no God, you had no covenant, you had no promises, but who did? The nation of Israel did. So how is it that the heathen would see God's righteousness? Well, yeah, but ultimately it would be through his law, which was given to the nation of Israel. Israel was supposed to be that light. What does the light do? It shines, it illuminates. They're supposed to look at the nation, the Gentiles look at the nation of Israel and see, wait a minute, look at them. And it's through the law, that covenant situation with the nation of Israel, that, that, that um, God's righteousness is, is displayed. Look at Isaiah 46, 13. Isaiah 46, 13. Now, Isaiah was obviously a prophet to the nation of Israel. Isaiah was a Jew. Isaiah was under the law. He's talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, I bring, in verse 13, I bring my right near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. You see, God's righteousness was not unknown. It was displayed. Matter of fact, if the law was meant to convict man of his sin, the Jew of his sin, what was that supposed to tell them about God? His righteousness. It was supposed to them understand that I can't meet that standard of God. God's righteousness is so high that I can't meet it. The, the, the law was supposed to convict man of the, their sin, and yet man's, the Jews forgot that. And so the law was the means. Look at Numbers chapter four, or 15, verse 40. Numbers 15, verse 40. <coughs> God gave Israel the law and if somebody could complete the law God was bound by his word that if you could if you could fulfill the law you were righteous you were perfect you were saved now obviously they couldn't do it God knew that and he was going to provide a way for them but look here what it says that you may remember numbers 15:40 that you may remember and do all my commandments and what was his commandments that he that's being talked about here the law, the Mosaic law. 
and be holy unto your God. You see, Israel was supposed to be separated, and that was, that was going to be literally their righteousness. The righteousness that they were going to have was going to be through the law. The law was going to be that means, and it was the means in which they would understand God's righteousness, which turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 21. I went the wrong way. Chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 21. It says, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. He that brought us out from thence that he might bring us to give us this land which he swore unto fathers, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. For our God always that he might preserve us alive as in this day, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see how the law was, um, wasn't was just a list of do's and don'ts. The law was supposed to tell the Jews something. One, it was supposed to tell the Jews that they don't have any righteousness. It was supposed to tell the Jews I can't meet the standard. But it was also spelt, supposed to tell them about the righteousness of God because that is his standard. Though Those laws were his standards. And so the law was supposed to be a means in which God's righteousness was on display to the Jews through the law, but then also through the Jews to the world. The law was that means in which the, God's righteousness would be displayed. And now we have Paul talking about here in Romans chapter 3 that God's righteousness is now manifested apart from the law. And that's a new thing. That wasn't the way God was doing it before. God was not displaying his righteousness apart from the law. And Paul is saying, but now he is. See, Paul is getting ready to get into some stuff that we understand today that wasn't understood before. I hope that makes sense to you. Any questions on, on any of that? And if you do, let me know. Because what you have to understand is, is that, again, it's God's righteousness um, that's manifested. Um, and this kind of goes into what um, um, Derek had mentioned a minute ago. But the righteousness of God was manifested in the law, but now it's manifested in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. The, it was manifested in the law, and now it's manifested. What Paul is going to be teaching about is it's manifested in the finished work, in the work, in the personhood of Jesus Christ. The way in which man understands God's righteousness today is not from the law. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. Does that make sense? So why did the Jewish people then... Why didn't they recognize that? Because they got caught up in um, themselves, always thinking of, of the fact that we are of Abraham's seed, almost like they were owed, owed salvation because they were a descendant of. Like that child who's, you know, you see that, um, we see it today often, whenever that um, person who's maybe it's a rock star, a movie star, somebody who's wealthy and their son who has a lot of money, and what do they do? They think they're entitled to everything. Well, the Jews thought they were entitled to these things. But Paul's just spent this Romans chapter 2 and 3 pointing out, no, 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 you don't get judged in a different way because you're from Abraham. God is judging all of us. The Jew is no different. And so the Jew thought because they came from Abraham that they were going to be somehow exempt, which is why Paul went into the idea of um, is there an advantage of the Jew? Because he had, got, he had said that there, you don't, the, judge, the Jew is still going to be judged. And, but then he goes into, was there still an advantage? And he says, yes, in many ways. And we talked about the fact that, that they, had, they had the oracles of God. So to them was given the word and the worship of God. They had the advantage, but they squandered it. So does that make sense? 
So the last thing I would point out to you in this verse 21 here, Romans chapter 3, um, just to read it again, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. As we just said here a minute ago, how God's righteousness was manifested through the law, now through Christ Jesus. Remember, the law was meant to, to not only reveal God's righteousness, but it was meant to condemn man. So that all mouths would be stopped is what scripture says. So that righteousness that at one time that convicted all of man, God's righteousness on display through the law, which convicted all of mankind, that righteousness now that's shown through the uh, uh, work and person of Jesus Christ, it's that same righteousness that now, instead of condemning man, saves man. And that's what nobody got. This is what Paul is revealing. You won't see that revealed somewhere else. Well, Scripture also tells us that God gave us a conscience. And so Cain um, obviously would have known that killing is wrong. And that's what we've talked about before, that where um, man wants to um, claim ignorance about right or wrong, um, they can quickly know it's, there's right and wrong when somebody comes and steals from them. Yeah, somebody know, can quickly know right and wrong when somebody kills their child. And so why do we have that? We have that because that conscience that God put in the hearts of every one of us, that's part of what that image of God is. I don't think that is an all-encompassing explanation of what that image is. I, think, I, don't, I don't think we could explain what the image of God aspect is, but that is certainly part of it, is that we have something we have something that the animals don't have. You know, I, I, I see some of the simplest things, and it, and it tells me the difference between mankind and, and animal kind. I, I, I hear, hear some, some musician create some beautiful music, and I think that that's something that mankind can generate. Animal kind can't do that. Animal kind's never going to be able to do something like that. And so we see this image of God aspect, and part of that is, is that conscience that, that we have. And so Cain was just as guilty, uh, and he relied on God's grace just as much as everybody did. Uh, matter of fact, he even relied on God's faith just as much as we did. We, we teach that in the Old Testament that it was, it was not works that saved anybody. It was faith with works. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's always been the case. And whenever, whenever Cain cried out to God and said that I, I've killed my brother and whenever I go out here, the people are going to kill me and God says, I'll put a mark on you that, so nobody can do anything to you, by faith, Cain, Cain had to believe that. So it's always been about faith. Um, but the difference today is, is it's faith plus nothing. You know, there, there are no works. Even, even um, in, the, in the Gospels, it was he that believeth, and, well, guess what? Today, it's not he that believeth and, is it? Today, it's he that believeth. So, and so, yeah, um, back to what I was saying here is the righteousness that once condemned man is now what saves man. And, um, again, again, this is one of the things, reasons why I know that this is written by God and, and not, uh, not mankind. Verses 22 and 23, let's, let's look at those. It says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Keep in mind we're still within one sentence. And so 23, um, or 22 is going to have 23 involved in it. But before we get to that, um, first thing I want to point out is, is, is that if, if your Bible says here by faith in Jesus Christ, I would suggest that your Bible is wrong. I believe that it should be as the King James says here, and King James is not the only one that does this. It says by faith of Jesus Christ. Prepositions matter, okay? And so this is by Christ's 
faithfulness. It's by Christ's faith that you are saved. And so this is a very important distinction. Yes, you have to have faith in Jesus. But that faith in Jesus, guess what, would mean absolutely nothing without the faith of Jesus, which we'll talk about. But look here in Romans 3, verse 3. See how it says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? See, there's a faith of God involved in your salvation. And that's what's being talked about here in in this Romans passage that we just got done reading. It's the faith of God, not just the faith in God. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. It's one of those where some um, some Bibles have... uh, what I believe to be the, the wrong preposition, you study it on your own and be convinced. Don't take my word for it. I'm just telling you from my studies what I believe. I believe that this should be faith of. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And we know that this should be the case because it's getting ready to talk about faith in Christ and then go back to faith of Christ. Keep reading. So the man's not justified by the works of law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. If therefore Christ, the minister of, is therefore Christ, the minister of sin, God forbid, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For though, for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I should live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, when you're back here in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 where it says, um, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Again, I think that there is an important distinction because we are saved ultimately by his faithfulness. The only reason our faith matters is because he's offered salvation, right? Could the Gentile back, you know, in the days of Israel, when God was dealing with the nation of Israel, could the Gentiles say, I believe God is, is, is faithful to save me? No. The only way that he, only way that, that the Gentile could do that is if he was trying to follow God's offer of salvation. He couldn't order God to save him because he had faith in God and because he had faith that God was merciful and he, that God was, was, was loving and desired to save sinners. No, it was based upon God's offer of salvation. In the Old Testament, it was to the Gentile through the nation of Israel. So even today... Even today, your salvation, which is by faith in Christ, is only effective because of the offer of salvation itself. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I'm struggling a little bit with this because it sounds almost like a Calvinistic approach that it's, that it's, it's the faith, it's a faith of Christ. So that sounds like it's the faith he gives us. No. So I'm, I'm confused. Okay, well, let me, and, and I'm glad you pointed out because I don't want anybody confused on that. Uh, no, what, what, what I'm talking about here is that the only reason why your faith in Christ matters is because God is faithful. It's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made an offer of salvation that if you believe in his finished work, if you believe in that, if you put your faith in that, his faithfulness has taken care, taken care of your salvation. But you cannot, because you have faith in God, order God to save you in another way that he has not offered. Right. So, so really, not only the word of should be there, 
but it should be faithfulness versus faith. Because there's two different things. Yes. Faithfulness and faith are two different things. Well, no, in actuality, not in the Bible. Not, not typically. Um, and you have to pay, t- pay attention to the context to see which one. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and not seen, right? But at the same time, here we are talking about God's, his faith. His faith to do what he's going to do. His faithfulness to do what he's going to do. And we're not even going to get through 26, well, which is that, fine. But see, that, that's still, to me, there's a real distinction between faith and faithful. And maybe there shouldn't be. I mean, I, when, when you say of his faithfulness, I completely get it. Mm-hmm. When you say of his faith, it confuses me. Well, think of it as his faithfulness because it's, it's and that's really ultimately what we're talking about here. Just like I used the example in the Old Testament where the, the, um, the Gentile, the Gentile could be saved, but they couldn't say, I have faith in God. It was based upon salvation was offered in a particular way. Right. Well, I, and I understand, I mean, it's not inconsistent with what I believe, but it just, when I look at these verses in, the, in, that, in that construct, uh, faithfulness of faithfulness fits a whole lot better in the way I understand it than of faith. Which is why I started off by saying it was faithful, yeah. Because yeah. okay. ultima- ultimately, we have faith that God is faithful. Right. Is, is, we're basically saying that he consist- he's consistent, he doesn't change, and he's true. Well, what we're saying is, is I have faith that God has said, I am saved if I believe in the finished right. work. Right. God has, has a plan of salvation, and I have faith that he's faithful to do that for me. Right, in other words, he doesn't lie. Yes, um, but ultimately, it's not so much just that he doesn't lie because, you know, you, I mean, if, he offers, if he offers salvation through faith, then that's that's the truth. That's that's what he's teaching. That's what he says he'll do. And to me, that sounds like it's just done. It's not. Yeah, I, I think you're getting in, in different directions. I, I, the the point that, that we're trying to make here is simply that the way that the faithful faith works with salvation is God has prescribed a plan of salvation. When you put your faith in that, you're saying, I have faith in his faithfulness, in his plan of salvation. Right. And so at one time, the plan of salvation that we have today wasn't in effect. So you couldn't use that. You couldn't go to God and say, hey, I have faith that you love to save sinners. That's not the way it worked. But today, the, the what your faith is in is his faithfulness to do what he said, which has always been the case, but it was a different plan or different, um, I should say, uh, reaching for salvation. Does that make sense? If there isn't, if it doesn't, we should stop and make sure that we make that clear. I just have a question. Now it's clear as blood to me. <laughs> I, I always thought it was the faith of Christ, the faithfulness of him to die on the cross faithfulness of him to complete the finished works that he did, which then was offered as our salvation. I, I think that it certainly does have all of that, but at this point Christ has already died, and that salvation is being offered. And so whenever I, I got into a conversation by email here recently about somebody who um, hears the gospel, Ephesians Ephesians 1.13, you hear the, um, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed, and you're sealed. Here we have the plan of redemption. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believed, and you're sealed, right? The, the question somebody asked me through, through an email was, well, what if they start doing things like um, sacraments that other churches teaches? You know, some teach that water baptism is sacrament. Sacrament is a way to receive God's grace. Some people teach that tithing is a sacrament. Some teach all different kinds of things. You go to Catholic church, and you got, I think, seven of them. And so does that, does that mean that they weren't saved? Well, the thing is, is that when you look at Ephesians 1.12, it uses a word called trusted. Trusted. You see, did you, to me, that demarcation point is, did you trust in the finished work of Christ? And so how that relates to this is, is when we have faith, when we when we trust in that finished work of Christ, 
when we, when, we, when we establish in our hearts and our minds that we have faith in what Christ has accomplished for our sins. Does that make sense? And so, yes, it is the fact that he is faithful, um, but he already went to the cross. But we also know that it's because I trust that, that God in his faithfulness has said, I am saved by, by believing in his finished work. My salvation's done. If you, if you believe that you're saved by Christ's death on the cross and because you put money into this tithe, then you didn't believe that you were saved by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, right? And if you don't believe that, then you don't have faith in Christ's faithfulness to do what he said. And what he said was that what I've done is enough. That just did it for me. I got that. Yeah, that yeah. Does that make sense? Okay, it took me 20 minutes. <laughs> what Paul can... Paul, I got lost in the middle, and I'm like... Wait, well, and that's why it's good that you make sure that you, you slow me down to make sure that you understand. The last thing I want is this to become white noise. This stuff is too good. So make sure that you, we slow down. Um, but ultimately, like I said, um, it's Christ's faithfulness that saves us. I mean, to put it in another way, I can, I, can, I can tell somebody all day long, you know what, yep, you know, can I borrow $20,000? I'm going to go to the, the horse track and I'm going to put money on it. I know this, this horse is going to win. Now, no one should have any faith in that, right? Well, I have faith that God said, that I deposited something onto your account that can never be taken away. By faith, I trust in his faithfulness that it's done, that it's over with. And that's the assurance that, that we can have in salvation and move on from the idea that, that I'm, not, I'm not accepted in the beloved. All these terms that Paul uses throughout his epistles, that, that we have put on his righteousness. This is the reason why you're saved is because you don't stand on your righteousness, do you? We put on his righteousness. All right, so here's somebody that goes to the church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins because they were incapable of being righteous. So they accept his righteousness. But they also have to get baptized. So is their faith Not counted under them as righteousness, or, or who knows? And, and here's no. Well, here's the thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know that anybody could know but God. And the reason I say that is, is because did they put the cart before the horse, or did they put put the horse before the cart? Well, did they did they believe? Okay, they hear the gospel that the only way you can be saved is by believing in the finished work of Christ. And then, okay, once that's done, you need to come get baptized. That, again, that, that point is trusted. Did you trust in his finished work for your salvation? Then you're saved. Well, if you add works after the fact. I, I mean, I've got a lot of friends here at Church Christ. Mm-hmm. And I talk to them, and I, I really believe that they believe that Jesus' death on the cross is what justified them mm-hmm. in his resurrection. But they also believe that you got to baptized. How do you reconcile that? I mean, is it just they're in error, but it's not uh, it's the same way with some of my friends who are Catholics. You know, I, I talk to them about the Lord and, and they sit there and they agree with me. Yes, I believe that it's because of his death that I'm able to go to heaven and because of his resurrection. Mm-hmm. But I still do all these things. <laughs> and, and did you, was you going to say anything about that or did you have a different question? Well, I having the same thing going through my mind right at the same time that was always one thing that confused me because they would say that you weren't saved by baptism it didn't do anything and it was an outward expression of your inward faith and and I always thought well am I displaying that just for my fellow Christians am I doing it to be a light like I never really understood and and I was always brought back to well Jesus was baptized like you know so that's why we do it because what would Jesus do mm-hmm. and um, 
because I was at the Church of Christ. Well, there's two Church of Christ. Yeah. I yep. was at one for 15 years, and that was one thing that always the I thing, never really understood. Sure. Well, and, and again, here's the thing we've got to be very careful on. And I'm not suggesting you guys are doing this, but I'm telling you the danger that there are some that want to suggest blanketly, you're not saved if you're Catholic, you're not saved if you're Church of Christ, because this is what they teach. We can't say that. And the reason why that is, is I don't know if that person heard you're saved by the finished work of Christ. You, you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation, and you trust in that and go get baptized. Now, they may have trusted Ephesians, what Ephesians 1 says. They may have trusted in that finished work. But if they didn't trust in the finished work, if they trusted as the blood of Christ was one part, then no, they're not saved according to Scripture. But the thing is, is I don't even know if they know whether or not they, they at one point trusted in the finished work. They could have trusted, one sec, they could have trusted and then added this other thing and those people I would say would be saved if they if they did trust and then add this they're saved because of God's faithfulness because they met that plateau but we also know that in Galatians Paul makes it a very stern warning to those who pervert the gospel and this is why it's so such a big deal because it's the gospel that's the power of God and the salvation and this is why I was talking about the faithfulness of God. Your faith doesn't mean anything except for the, the power of the gospel. The reason why your faith matters is because God says through a gospel that if you do this, I will apply my son's righteousness to you. We don't know, but we do know this. The Church of Christ teaches a perverted gospel. The, the Catholics teach a, teach a perverted gospel. Many churches out there teach a perverted gospel, one in which would be condemned by God. But the individual, I never judge. That's why it's so important that you continue to do what you guys are doing and make sure that you make it known. Look, you realize, okay, you went and got baptized, but you realize that the only payment for your sin is the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you want to go get wet, that's fine. I'll bring you a towel, but it didn't do nothing for your salvation. That's what we have to make sure that people know. Francis? Uh, I was a part of the non-instrumental Church of Christ for years. Hmm. And being baptized was essential to being saved. Yeah. The distinction that, that they failed to recognize is the difference between the two Gospels. In Acts 2.38, Peter is referring to the Gospel of the Kingdom. Mm -hmm. He's preaching a Kingdom Gospel, repent and be, and baptized. be baptized, every one of you. So then when Paul... Uh, finally gets the true and it takes him a while in other words Paul doesn't receive all the revelation in one day right. so when he receives the revelation uh, from the Lord for the gospel that we have today it's not the gospel of the kingdom Correct. in Acts 15 1, 1 through 4 where it talks about where he talks about the death, burial and resurrection that's his gospel, the, the, the revelation that he received mm -hmm. from the Lord. So that's why, that in, at least in the Church of Christ, the non-instrumental, you are not saved until you are baptized. Sure. That's what they teach. That's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And I only came to a different conclusion, a different thought, and finally understood that is by less after watching probably a thousand hours of Les Feldick on YouTube, I finally understood that they were that Peter was preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and well, go ahead. So the question is: Was Francis saved then when he was in the Church of Christ, or the Lord knows? The only and again, this is what I believe. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians for a second. I believe that there are going to be people in heaven um, saved during this day of grace that spent their time teaching a wrong gospel. I think there are going to be people in heaven who, who, who actually believed in the finished work of Christ and then were taught something wrong. Or 
maybe even it may, we're in the. How many of you have ever let your mind fade as I've been talking? And I guarantee you, every one of them, you should be raising your hand except for my wife, because I know she'd never <laughs> yeah. do that. Never. It just it happens. I've done. It. I've been in Bible study. You know, you're listening, you're te- the, the, the pastor's teaching, and you hear something, and your mind fades. I'm telling you, there's going to be people in heaven who heard about the finished work of Christ and, 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 and probably contemplated on the finished work of Christ, were saved because they believed in it, and at the same time, the person who's teaching lies of the gospel are talking about the need to be, to be um, water baptized. I don't know if somebody's going to be saved, but I know in Ephesians chapter 2, look at what this says. Chapter 2, verse 7. It says, in the ages to come, he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I believe that we're going to get to glory and we're going to see people who are Catholic, who are, who are Methodists, who are Church of Christ, who were this, that, and the other, and say, I never thought you'd be here. Because God's point is, is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, look at what it says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it happens. We're not going to have some fuzzy feelings. Salvation isn't about a feeling. Salvation is, did you hear the gospel of salvation? And the gospel is that you're saved on the finished work. And when a person hears that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Christ died on the cross uh, for their sins, was risen again for their justification. And if they believe that, they're saved. If they do that, it's done. I don't care if 0.5 seconds later somebody tells them that they have to be baptized. That's what I believe. I believe that when you trust in that finished work, just because later um, or even later that day they get baptized, but if they if they put their trust in something besides the all the Christ, then they weren't saved, Tim. Yeah, and I think too the flip side of what you said, when we get to heaven, we're gonna say, Well, I thought he was going to be here and I thought he was going to be here and we can never know that because believing is not something that's observable. It's right. not to any third person. It's between you and God. That's right. And, uh, you know, but, belief is... It's yeah, we can't know on either, either way. You know, uh, I can't know somebody's salvation. They can say all day long that they believe something, but I don't know it. That's but God... Like the light laminator, when the light comes on, we don't have a light that comes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, that's the judgment that's to be left to God. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Um, and we'll pick up here. We don't have time. Um, because we didn't even talk about, I mean, we did really, um, those, it's, it's applied basically. Uh, this offer of salvation is offered to all, but it's only applied to those who believe. And that's where the universalists seem to think that you can be saved. See, it's salvation's for all. Yeah, it's offered to all, but it's only, Romans 1.16 is very clear, it's to them who believe. So, all right.